think that when you go and you try to learn the ins and outs of a company, and I took a pay cut to basically go grind to get that opportunity to be in the room and be like, no, I actually have confidence and I know what's going on because I put myself in the position to create this opportunity. And what it looked like was opening and closing the studio, working every holiday, working crazy hours, working weekends, you know, all the stuff that other people wouldn't do when other people were going out and partying, I couldn't go anymore because I had to get up. Just all these little things. It's no, I earned it because I took that massive risk and it put me in a better position. So yes, showing up to that audition, I definitely had an edge. I was in my home studio. I knew what was going on. I wrote a hundred billion times a day free. I'm going to learn all the ins and outs of this company. And then that can springboard me to anywhere I want to be in the company. But it was a massive sacrifice. It was like really scary. Could anybody listening right now just take a pay cut of 25 grand and still function? Hi, everyone, and welcome to Creating the 4% Podcast, real-life stories from FitPros. I'm your host, Maria Costello. Stories of motivation, discipline, failure, and success from your favorite fitness instructors, a podcast about how to create an impactful and meaningful class, which amounts to 4% of a person's day, made with sweat for FitPros by FitPros. Thanks for listening, and let's get this episode started. All right, everybody, welcome back. She went from the Friday night velvet rope scene in Los Angeles to SoulCycle Master Instructor. Madison Ciccone grew up in Rhode Island with big dreams of working in the music industry. After completing her education in Nashville, she packed her bags and off to Hollywood she went. During her time in the Golden State, she was an intern at the Ellen DeGeneres Show, worked in ad agencies, digital marketing, as an executive assistant for some prominent A-listers like Simon Fuller, and then she also worked on music videos, Rihanna's tour wardrobe with some bartending and front desk hours at Equinox, you know, as one does to make ends meet. Madison was in the thick of the all too familiar career grind until the day she heard the knock. SoulCycle WeHo happened to be across the street from the Equinox she worked at. And when she decided to take a class with a friend, the dots that connected her entire FitPro journey began to form. It's easy to connect them looking back, but what you don't know about this athlete with a heart of a champion is that she is so much more than just an indoor cycling instructor. I had the honor to take her class this summer and confirmed firsthand she is a real one, people, and I cannot wait to share her incredible story with you today. Entrepreneur, podcast host, confidence and mindset coach, community cultivator, social media influencer, and the same last name as Madonna, Mads Tads has been featured in Shape Magazine, Pop Sugar, The Today Show, Birdie, and New York Magazine. With 45,000 followers on Instagram, Madison has leveraged her platform to advance her passion for philanthropy work with organizations like Life Rolls On, and most recently, Pan Mass Challenge, where she took a break from tapbacks to ride 100 miles in 100 degrees to raise money for the day. Farber Cancer Institute. Fresh off of her birthday, her engagement, and her fabulous trip to Paris, joyful, loving, and above all fearless. Holy shit, it is an honor to welcome Madison Ciccone to the Creating the 4% podcast. I'm Madison, like, I'm like, I'm welcome. like, what? I can't even fit my head through the door. You make me sound so cool and amazing. I'm like, can I 
take that and like just put it on my website? Can that just be my intro whenever I walk in a room? Because like, what? You Wait, are cool. You oh are God, cool. It's the coolest thing ever. Thank you for that. Like what a great pump up because some of that stuff I totally even forgot about. Like some of the articles and things I've been featured in. And one of the things my mom always says, when we were like little, when she was being sassy with us, was like, I've forgotten more than you'll ever know. And I, and sometimes I think of that in my own life. Like there's so many things that I've just kind of like forgotten that I've added to this crazy journey that are so much a part of it. But like in your day to day, you forget, you're like, oh yeah, I did do that. Or I did do that music video. Or I was on that show. Just craziness. So yes, that's exactly, that. of course, that's exactly why I like to go hard because I think that, and I know you talk about this a lot and I'm sure we'll delve into it shortly, but I think that there's just a misconception that people just wake up one day and they're all these things. It's like, no, sweetie, it took a very long time and lots of doors opening and closing to kind to get to where you are. You exemplify that to a T. So that's why I'm so honored to have you. As I was saying, I'm going to give my friend just a quick cred here. So she is somebody who goes to Boston often and her husband, I think he goes there for, it could just be football. I'm not exactly sure, but they go there often. And so she was just like, I'm going to Seoul there. And there's this instructor that I've been following on social. Only class that works for me is her class. So I'm like, so excited. I don't want to say that I'm just like, yeah, yeah, but I kind of was. So many times we see people on social media and then we go there and we don't see what we think we're going to see. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, take the class. Yeah, you know. So I was like, take the class, then talk to me. Of course, she reported back how great you were. And then I started following you on social media. And then she kept going a few times. And one of the things she said was, it's good every time. She's exactly like she is on Instagram every time. And how different the class felt every time, even though it was consistent in the pillars of how you were programming or delivering the class. Finally, we saw that you were coming to Montauk in the summer. So she was like, that's it. We have to go because we wanted to go up there together. Then I got pregnant and sold this stuff. So finally, I was just like, okay, she's coming to Montauk. We're doing this. <laughs> so we planned the girls' day out yeah, there. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And you were part of it. And so I was still not super big. I had just gotten pregnant. So I felt confident in my writing skills. I was in a good spot. But I have to say, I was so blown away by how wonderful your class was, feeling like you were a real one. Everything that I have seen from you up to that point on social media and the way that you talk about your classes on your podcast, however, I'm interacting with you, really felt like an extension of your class. I always felt like that's how it should be. So I was so nervous to approach you. And I was like, please, God, let her say yes to being on the podcast. So again, I just want everyone to hear. Thank you so much for just letting some rando come up to you. But by the way, she had a line of people waiting for her, for anyone listening, <laughs> trying to take a photo. And I was just like, I guess we could take a photo. But what I really care about is you saying yes to no, coming I on this it. podcast. I, one of my goals is to speak on as many podcasts as possible. Every time I do, I learn and I get better at my own. And it's just a huge goal of mine of getting myself out there more in the world. All right. I'm going to pass it off to you. And my guess is most people who listen to this podcast will know who you are. There will be some who maybe are either not on social media as much, or maybe are not as familiar with the soul cycle roster of instructors that are really prominent on social media. So I want you to take the time to go back and tell everyone how your fitness journey began. And then we'll take yeah. it from there. Oh, I love this that we're getting like niche down to the fitness part because I feel like on a lot of podcasts, you know, I talk about entertainment. I talk about working for all like the A-listers and the movies and like the shows and all that stuff. And it's so much a part of it. But I think that the fitness part also had like a lot of trials and tribulations. 
So I think, you know, I was a D1 athlete in college. I cheered through college at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee high school. I ran track. I was doing cheerleading. I was always like involved with a million gajillion things. And I've always asked my dad, I'm like, dad, was I just like this? Like play the violin, play the saxophone, did soccer, did softball. Then I started cheerleading. I was going to dance. I was the lead in the play. Was this just like who I was or did y'all push me to be this? Like, I don't know this. I call it the D1 spirit of this, like, go get them tiger type of attitude. He's like, no, that's just who you were. And I was like, okay, well, that explains a lot of things as an adult uh, for better or for worse now. But I think for me, I've always just been a really physically active person, Uh, whether that's just because I have a lot of energy or what, that's just like who I am. And what you alluded to is working the front desk at Equinox. So I'll kind of start there with post-college. I was super poor in LA. I had no money. My parents were kind of like helping me get by post-college, like trying to chase this dream out there of whatever it was at the time. And my brain was like, okay, well, if I work at Equinox front desk, then I can go there for free. I can rub shoulders with like the who's who, maybe get the job, maybe get that. I was like, this is the best place to network. It is like the coolest, most connected community. I love Equinox West Hollywood. It doesn't get better than that on the face of the planet, I don't think. And working there, I had a lot of really awesome opportunities. I danced in weddings and, and got to do really cool stuff. And that kind of led me to Soul Cycle in a very roundabout way of, like I said, it was across, it was literally across this like quad square that is in West Hollywood. And I was actually working down, it was either in Manhattan Beach or Marina Del Rey at the time at this ad agency. And my friend Noah was like, hey, do you want to go take a Soul Cycle class with me? And I was like, yeah, 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 we'll go do that. And we ended up maybe like once a month taking Angela Davis's class here and there. And I was like, oh my God, this is so awesome. Like I can't afford it, but when I'm here, it's so great. And then kind of soul, like it was in my whatever, but it wasn't necessarily like the be all end all for me yet. It was just kind of something I did. I was like on class pass, I'd go take yoga. I was like a huge yogi in LA. I was going to like Bhakti Yoga Shala on the West side, you know, singing and doing all these things. I got my yoga license with liberation yoga. I was doing like a two or 300 hour yoga teacher training while working literally 65 plus hour weeks at this ad agency. So to give you a perspective of what it looked like, quote unquote, side hustling or trying to do that path to like parlay you to the next thing was like, I was working this crazy schedule, driving, commuting like two hours to and from. I'd actually wake up at 4 a.m. and commute down to South Bay and work out at the Equinox South Bay before, like to try to like reverse the traffic. And then I'd go back after and I'd actually take spin cycling with my friend Renee Wiley, who taught at uh in on the West Side Equinoxes, like just craziness. So I was always plugged into that community, but so much more of a yoga person. So I would literally leave work on Thursday and Friday night and do the teacher training from six to almost midnight and then all weekend. So like that was my life. It was such a massive commitment, but I didn't care because I was like, oh, I just like love it so much. You know, I like, I want to do this thing and maybe it could be something different. Maybe it could take me away from corporate, you know, like whatever that little dream was at the time. So I did that. And then that's when I kind of, I got let go. And I talk about this a lot on my own podcast. I got let go from an ad agency and you know, I was just like, what am I going to do? And that's when boutique fitness like was really, really skyrocketing. 
particularly SoulCycle. I mean, it was everywhere. It was everything. You couldn't go anywhere, billboards. You couldn't not hear about it, talk about it. And I was like, I need to get in with this company. I don't care how, I don't care whatever I need to work for them. And so I went on like several rounds of interviews. I drove up to Malibu. I drove to Pasadena. I tried, like literally went on so many interviews, thought I got the job because I did a shadow day at Beverly Hills didn't get the job. And I was like, well, fuck. So then I went and I like worked another ad agency job for like six months, got let go again. It was like always that hiring in like April, June, July, and then getting let go literally just before Thanksgiving when they're like, okay, well, we have to keep the lights on for the next two months. We lost three accounts. Looks like you don't have a job for the holidays. And you're like, great. Awesome. So I kind of was like, fuck LA. I'm done with LA. Like I, it's just clearly not working here. I went online and SoulCycle Boston, had, quote unquote, was just opening at the time for, and they needed an assistant studio manager. So I applied and I was like, I'm going to go back to Boston. I don't even care where I go. I just need to get in with SoulCycle. I'll go back home. I'll live with my parents, whatever. I'll make it work. I get a call from Soul and they're like, hey, we don't have a position in Boston. We have a position again in LA. And I'm like, you've got to be absolutely kidding me. Here I am ready to just like slam the book shot. Screw LA. I'll go anywhere for this company. They call me and they're like, actually, you're going to be staying in LA. So lo and behold, I did get that position and it was assistant studio manager at West Hollywood. So that's where I got trained. That's where I got like totally put in the culture. And I never wanted to be an instructor ever. I was never like, never, 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 never like a thing in my head. I was like, you know what? I'm done trying to be the instructor thing. I'm going corporate within fitness. I'm going to be the marketing girl or whatever. And somehow being in LA, it'll bring me back to New York full circle. I'll be closer to my parents. I'll be East Coast again, blah, blah, blah. So I start working there. I open up our West Coast headquarters at the time in Culver City. You know, I'm doing it and I'm loving it, but I'm constantly riding. I'm riding like three times, four times a day on my lunch shift before work, after work. You know, someone needs a podium rider. I'm riding podium, doing all the things. And I just kept having people come up to me and being like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? And I kept hearing that. And that's what I allude to as like kind of one of the knocks in my life of like, why aren't you doing this? And so the answer for me was, okay, I'm going to audition. And that audition process, it was very Hollywood at the time. You like send a headshot and you sent in all like your credentials to the talent program. You had to get invited. Uh, first, you do like an interview online, like a Zoom interview. Then you get invited to audition. And my audition happened to be at Culver City, which was my home studio. So I wasn't maybe as nervous or whatever. I knew the studio at the time. Actually, I can say this now, but at the time, like Marvin, who was running the auditions, who is one of our senior master talent managers still in New York. When I got up to like get the mic, he was like, you already know how to do this, right? <laughs> I was like horrified. There were like 53, every bike was full in the room. So 53 to 57 people going for two minutes each. I mean, you were riding for forever, it seemed like. And then at the end of the day, you're like, thanks for coming. You'll hear from us. Luckily, I got to hear from them. And that kind of was the start to the journey of going to New York, getting placed in Boston, all that good stuff, which we can keep peeling the layers back. But that's kind of the immersion into this fitness soul cycle world that I'm still currently a part of. First of all, I love the point about can't understate enough that rejection is just a part of pursuing and chasing your dreams. I think people have this idea that if they say no the first time, it's not meant for me. And I've heard you say before, it's very hard to determine why some people hear a no and are energized by it. And some people hear a no and it's paralyzing to them. Yeah. And whether that's sort of like an aid in your personality or your life experience or a little bit of both. But I think that that's something that's really 
asterisk throughout your journey as I've been researching you that there were so many doors opening and closing, sometimes even multiple ones at the same time, especially with all these jobs, all these opportunities, wanting to be in music, then ending up in entertainment and low-key fitness. How did you find that job? Were you already in the mind space of, okay, people tell me that maybe I should look into fitness? Like, how did that happen? I know you got laid off from the ad agency and this was a constant in your life, but can you just delve a little bit deeper about what kind of conversation did you have with yourself to be like, okay, this is the thing I'm pivoting into? Okay. So two things. And there's like two different parts of the story. So the first one was before any of the soul cycle, I think maybe even, I don't know if this was before, after I got my yoga license, I auditioned at cycle house to be an instructor. And I got through to their like training program and it just like, wasn't working for me. I couldn't get the music. I couldn't get the rhythm. Like I couldn't figure it out. I didn't have the style or the swag or the confidence And when that didn't work out and I had to call like the mean people and be like, it's just not working, that kind of gave me the like, you're not going to be an instructor thing. And I think that's when my mindset went more to be like, you can still be in this space and enjoy these classes and love all this stuff, but you don't have to be the instructor. And I think that gave me the mindset of like, why don't you work in the corporate side of like doing the marketing and advertising and what you're currently doing and getting like to dabble in in both worlds, get the best of both worlds, Miley Cyrus style. But to be honest, like fast forward, I literally just checked LinkedIn to see what was available at SoulCycle. And it happened to be like a Boston ASM. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, screw LA. I'll go back home. We'll be in more familiar area. I won't be struggling to try to make it out in LA. I was just in a point of, I was getting crushed wave after wave. There was just no let up. And so I think that's why I just like didn't give a shit where it was. I was just like, oh, cool. I just checked LinkedIn for SoulCycle because I just want to get in with these boutique, bigger fitness companies that are absolutely skyrocketing right now. I can't go wrong if I jump on this ship and I ride it. I don't want to say it was dumb luck. I just feel like I had this itch for working there. And I can't really tell you what that obsession was other than being in the Equinox community and wanting to be a part of this booming boutique fitness thing that was happening at the time. Yeah. And I asked that question because I think that this happens to a lot of people. And I know that you refer to it as the knock or the beginning of the knock or a variation of it. I think people delegitimize the fact that they can't exactly pinpoint why they feel a certain way and Mm. feel like, well, it's an itch. So it's not a for real thing. But that's kind of why I really like to delve into that story because most of the time or at that point in your life where you start to realize that there's something else meant for you, because a lot of people will say the same thing that you said. It's not it's not dumb luck. Let's see where this goes. And I had a similar trajectory myself. So I relate to that, but a little bit in reverse. I felt like I fell into being an instructor by accident. And now I'm a studio GM. I did it in reverse because I wanted to leverage my corporate skills that I had in a previous life. Having that piece of your story filled in with the fact that it wasn't working somewhere else. So okay, this isn't for me. So I'm going to leverage what I know I can do, the skills that I already have and tap into that. You didn't know you were going to try again later on, but it's easier to see the dots when you're looking back instead of forward. But I think that when I'm learning in my journey, and this is something I want to pick your brain on, there's a big disconnect between people who don't see the value of starting in management, or if the instructor thing is not available, not everyone sees the value of maybe becoming a GM. Is there value for everyone? Now that you've done that kind of job and then transitioned into an instructor, 
instructor role, what are some things that you learned while you were a studio manager that you think really helped you in your instructor journey after? Because I think, you know, when someone like you goes into training, especially through the Soul Cycle program, which is so rigorous and long, and you have to really pause your entire life to really delve into it, I think it's easy for another prospect to look at you and be like, well, she's going to breeze right through because she's already management or corporate. In the example that you gave with Marvin, there were some things that you were just already good at because you were used to doing it. But I'm wondering if you can kind of break down that process and what it was like through your eyes of already being in the company, but being a newer instructor. Okay. So, oh gosh, this is so good. So straight up, I took a $25,000 pay cut to go work at SoulCycle. And my friends were like, what are you doing? Everybody was like, what are you doing? I felt kind of stupid that I went to take this position and I was spraying shoes and grouting tiles in the bathroom and like cleaning toilets and, you know, restocking whatever. It it was it was not like a sexy transition. I don't know. I think that fuck, I earned that. You know, I think that when you go and you try to learn the ins and outs of a company and you literally take such a big like drop in I mean I took a pay cut to basically go grind to get that opportunity to to be in the room and be like no I actually have confidence and I know what's going on because I did that. I put myself in the position to create this opportunity. And what it looked like was, you know, opening, clopening, we call it clopening, opening and closing the studio, working every holiday, working crazy hours, working weekends, you know, all the stuff that other people wouldn't do when other people were going out and partying. I couldn't go anymore because I had to get up or I knew I had to ride a podium for Pixie when she like had something going on in her life. Just all these little things. It's like, no, I earned it because I took that massive risk and it put me in a better position. So yes, showing up to that audition, I definitely had an edge. I was in my home studio. I knew what was going on. I rode a hundred billion times a day for free. That was like one of the biggest perks. I was like, I can ride for free. I can work out for free. I'm going to learn all the ins and outs of this company. And then that can springboard me to anywhere I want to be in the company. Like that was my mindset around it, but it was a massive sacrifice. It was not cute and sexy. And like, I just took this job. It was like really scary. Could anybody listening right now just take a pay cut of 25 grand and still function? I don't know. That's something I relate to your story as well, because I made the shift from corporate to this and it was a slower one, but a lot of my family and people were concerned. Are you okay? Like you're going to give up a six figure salary to go teach on a bike in Long Island. It wasn't like LA or the New York city metro area, right? It was the burbs. So yeah, we had a soul cycle, but it was still very new to a population and a demographic that didn't really even know the words of what boutique fitness meant. And so I experienced that as well. And I even do now that I've transitioned into being a GM, the first question was, well, are you not going to teach anymore? (laughs) And I'm like, no, I took this job so I could build a place that I want to teach at the epitome of rolling up everything I've learned in these past few years to create a space that is worth just not just for you, the writer, but also for me and other instructors. So that's kind of why I asked that. And there's a lot of overlap that came from retail, maintaining a store that's just not sexy and cool and that it's a less than job. And for me, I feel like most retail workers and most fitness workers would do anything to be there, including taking a pay cut, making sacrifices and all of those things. So I'm glad to hear you 
say that. All right. What were some things about the training process that you think Soul did really well to help put you on this journey to then get out there and teach? Because the reason why I started this podcast is I heard a lot of feedback from people that places don't give the education that a Soul Cycle does or even a Cycle Bar does. And even then, there's still so much that you just have to learn as you go along. And that's just part of the job. What were some of the things that stick out in your mind that you think new instructors can focus on, whether they're going through a formal training program or not, that can really help them start to set the tone of the kind of instructor they want to be? Well, I think first of all, I think the hardest part is I don't think a lot of people could necessarily go into the training program the way it was set up before. It was a massive sacrifice. I blew like a lot of my savings and I basically moved to New York with a week and a half, two weeks notice. I had nowhere to live. They don't put you up and you're making minimum wage when you're there. So literally you're just flying blind into this experience. And not many people are fortunate enough to be able to do that because not many people can just uproot their lives or up and leave whatever they're doing and still survive. So I also happen to be in a very interesting place in my life where that still worked for me. So going to New York with the help of some of my friends and sleeping on couches and things like that, I also had a very different experience than my friends that lived in New York, that lived in these beautiful penthouse apartments that we like took an elevator up to. And I was like, what the fuck? Like you come home at the end of the night to this and I'm like on a couch or like crying because I'm like, I don't have my own space. I feel so uncomfortable here. And it's not... I was like a total mess in New York. Like New York was not fun. I oftentimes say like there I don't even understand how I got through training one because I was partying so hard in New York and my life was just so crazy sleeping on my friends' couches which they were so gracious to do and it's not like they lived in shitty places. It's just more like you know what it's like to be in a hotel and like have to even when I go to New York now to film and I'm like in a hotel like I fucking hate not having my morning routine and feeling settled and secure. It's like it breeds anxiety in yourself and you feel like shit for lack of better words. And that was my experience in New York. And the only thing that kind of glossed it over was the fact that I like was going out and partying every night with like random friends. It's like I use New York as an extension of LA and that's what kind of got me through. I mean, I showed up at Chorus Line into trainings. Like my friends will even tell it now. I had this red trucker hat and whenever I wore this red trucker hat, it was like a sign that like I was so hungover. And the literally the only thing that maybe got me through training, the reason why I got through is because I was so technically sound as a rider just from riding three or four times a day because I managed that studio. So there's like so many little glimmers of why it worked out where honestly, it might've been just luck for me. And and not as, it's such a hard time with luck, but it, it was like blind faith. I don't know, but it wasn't, it wasn't conventional. And I think that that's yeah. what people need to hear. That's what I'm trying to get to. I love what you just said, because that's exactly where I wanted to go next, but you teed me up. So Thank you for that. Now that I'm interviewing prospects, Madison, it's something I've been wanting to talk about on this podcast for a long time, but I can't even explain to you the amount of people that want this job. They've never even written before. They've never even taken a class before. I'm baffled by that. You kind of understated. I think the only thing that got me through is that I was a really good writer. Well, you're going to be instructing people on that very skill. So that's actually probably the most important thing. I love that you kind of said that people have approached me. Like, hey, I hear you're hiring. And I'm like, oh, have you ever taken an intercycling class before? Eight times out of 10, they say no. That's so um, wild to me. That's what? like me being like, I think I'm going to go play on the US women's soccer team and I am I can kick a ball pretty much as good as Abby Wambach in the inner prime. Like what? 
Yes. It's so and delusional. So, right. That, that, one eighth of the job, right? Yeah. We haven't even delved into like the That's other actually stuff. dead ass, not even part of the job. That's something that I don't even know. Like it's not even part of it. It shouldn't even be like a second thought and afterthought or whatever. That should just be like in the bag. You don't even think about it. It's like breathing. You don't even think about it. It should be that innate and like in your body. That was like a huge part for me is I never had to worry about necessarily the riding or the beat or the choreography. And yeah, I was really lucky. I was a D1 cheerleader. I was like a whatever dancer. So a lot of that stuff came very natural to me. Music. I went to school for entertainment and music business. So again, like a skill I didn't think would play in plays in massively. I think magic music is a massive edge I have on other people. And I can attest that to going to four years of music school, which people were like, why are you going to music school? Or, you know, playing all the instruments in high school, all these things start to come out of the woodwork. And you're like, oh, that's why she can do all that. And I don't even think about it because it's just innately in me. It's just part of me. Yeah, I agree. That's kind of why I really wanted to highlight that. All right. So you've completed training. You get offered, I believe it was Boston and two other locations, but you say, I'm going to Boston, going back to the Northeast. What is the road to MI look like? I'm not really sure what the differentiators are, how your job changes, does it at all? What does that entail? How did that come about? Was it something you were putting out into the universe? Give us a little bit of texture there. Anything at SoulCycle when it comes to that is all based on your metrics and your numbers and how you show up and who you are and the kind of leadership skills you embody. All of that plays into it. But I think the one of the most massive things is your performance. I mean, it, it's a performance job. So being able to perform and create community and cultivate your classes and sell out your classes and, you know, I've always said bleed yellow is a massive part of it. And I think that. I am one of those people, like if you give me a goal, I just, I'm going to go get it. And I was given a goal a couple different times and I just went after it with every fiber in my being. And lo and behold, like I hit whatever metric I needed to hit while also creating this massive platform and like stroking my community there and doing all the things above and beyond outside of just a numbers game. And I think that is really what got me to where I am not only now, but in 2019, like I call that 2019, like best soul cycle year of my life thus far. I like went to Palm Beach. I went, I made senior instructor. I made master instructor. It was like this crazy trajectory of a year where I just kind of like shot almost too fast. I say sometimes because it's like, I thought making master or senior master instructor was going to be like a decade long journey. And I was going to then be like seated among the greats of the company who are People have been doing it for the last 20 years and now they're, you know, working at corporate and fostering talent there and doing all these things. And I did this thing in like three and a half years and I was like, now what? So for me, it's kind of been a double-edged sword where I am because the carrot, there was not really another carrot for me to chase at this point. And that's actually leading you up to kind of like where I am now in my journey and the things I'm working on to keep me in it and just create a different persona around what I am or what I was three years ago, continue to be through COVID, whatever, whatever, we'll get into that. But that's kind of what shot me up to that title, whatever. Right. And you have this great year, your MI and all of a sudden COVID hits. Yeah. 
And then 2020 comes. I heard you personally talk about what that time outside was like. This is something that as instructors, we kind of share if you've been through it. And we don't always need to talk about it. Obviously, for the purposes of the podcast, we will so that we can impart any wisdom that we can. But I think one of those, oh, you taught during COVID. Oh, me too. And like, we've just exchanged a lot of emotions without saying anything else. And I taught various things during COVID. Indoor cycling was just one of them, but not being able to be physically close to people or look at facial expressions and emotions and sometimes not being able to get that through just eyes and the mask. It forced me to teach in a different way and I'm grateful for it, but I struggled. And I've heard you say that there were times where, you know, driving there, you would listen to David Goggins. Yeah, to like I, I, pump I, yourself felt like, up. I felt like I was going into like battle, like I yes, was going yes, into like, battle, like yes. 300 light Leonidas. Yes. That's how I felt too. Felt like people are looking to us, to me, to find some kind of solace in this epic time where nobody knows what the fuck's going on. And I didn't think that it was my job to be everybody's psychologist or anything like that or, or support or therapist, but I wanted to provide a space where even if for 45 minutes, me included, we just fucking forgot about the fear. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I boiled it down to just that because my brain couldn't compare compartmentalize anything beyond that. Please share some of your thoughts. What I'm most interested here about this part for you is similar to what we said during your training. In those low moments, other than the innate passion for riding, what were some tangibles that kept you going? Because I think that this will apply whether there's a pandemic or not. We're going to go through high and lows of life. Somebody may pass away in your family and you might have to show up for people in the moments where you don't feel like you can for whatever reason may happen. How can instructors leverage what they have within to show up for other people in those dark, dark times? And how did you do it during COVID? And have you kept any of those mechanisms in place to help you even after? Yeah, I feel like that's two pronged for me and they're very separate. So on day to day, whatever, like in Montauk, I'll just share with you because you came in with me there. My fiance's dad was dying when I was there. And it was really challenging to kind of try to show up and compartmentalize like emotionally what was going on in my own life. And there's so many people that have so many different situations going on as instructors that just figure out how to do it. Like I always say service with a smile and you figure out how to tell your story or allude to maybe what's going on and bring people on the journey with you. And that always creates, I think the people that can do the storytelling in that way that it's empowering and not like trauma dumping on your riders or whatever, or your people. Those are the people that are the most successful that turn like the wounds into wisdom or figure out how to navigate it, compartmentalize it and still show up and make it a service-based thing. Like I'm going through this and and that doesn't make me, it's not just me. It's probably 50% of this room is probably dealing with something extremely similar. It's kind of like the me too the me too, like I feel that too, the vulnerability movement of like, yeah, that's going on in my life too, or that, or that, or I didn't know that. Or like, that is one thing for me. The only thing that kept me going through COVID other than feeling like I wanted to show up for my people because they had nothing else and they were clinging to that at the time. And I was like, how could you possibly abandon your community right now? Like that didn't make sense to me. The only thing that kept me going was the hope that it was going to go back to what it was. And even that feels kind of iffy for me right now because it's still not back to what it was. And to be honest, if I knew that now, 
I don't know if I would have stayed. I don't because it was, it was fucking awful. It was awful. And I, uh, like, I can't even fathom, like, even when I'm walking outside in the cold, I'm like, I used to go teach in this. Like, I can't even physically feel it in my body. Like, and I, it's just wild to think about. And I, like I said, 2023, like, I feel like I'm playing midfield on the soccer team, looking up at God. And I'm like, God, I know you give your hardest battles to your strongest soldiers, but playing uh, like top of the diamond midfield center mid right now, like I'm good to park it on the bench for a hot second. Like I'm good. So there's a lot there that I'm like, yes, and yes, and yes, and. So I don't know if that totally answers the question, but that's kind of like where I'm at in my no, own I, personal journey. I think that it does, Madison, because I think this is what a lot of fit pros are feeling. Are we back? Is fitness ever going to go back to what it was? Should it? Should it? Especially indoor cycling, right? I just saw something that said it was a mind-body survey that they released. Indoor cycling, among a couple of other modalities, have really taken a hit and there's yeah. less interest in them. And people are so much more focused on strength and mobility and some other modalities that are seeing a resurgence. To kind of close the loop here on the, on the Soul Cycle chapter for now. I don't know that it should go back to what it was, but I just know that it doesn't feel like a full-on recovery. And for those of us who have been teaching prior in the highs of the highs through the pandemic and the lows of the lows, and then kind of starting to level out, but actually not really. And now just being in this weird unknown space, I think it's taxing and it's hard. And there's been moments I can name at least 10 in the last two weeks where I've been crying in my car and it's not because I'm pregnant people relax where I've been like is this worth it should I continue on this path God universe someone should I continue I love it so much and I know it's so innate in me and I know that there's so many instructors who feel the same way that you do as well where they're just kind of like I'm in a weird spot man (laughs) and so that's why I like to have these conversations because above all I don't want anyone listening to feel like they're alone you're not alone it's not in your head things are not how they used to be and we don't know where they're going to go but for you specifically working for soul the last six months has been super trying in terms of all of the stuff that's gone on. And I think as somebody who's still with the company, there's been layoffs, press, this, that, unknown, people resigning who didn't get laid off, people who are upset, who lost their jobs and then see other people resign and then instructors talking and then what's happening with Peloton. And then there's only three big players now in indoor cycling and two of them are having a lot of uncertainty. As somebody from one of the other major players, it doesn't give me any kind of confidence in any way. It makes me not feel good to not have that equilibrium of different layers in the space that bring different things for people, right? Yeah. Um, so I want to ask you about your perspective. And I am in no way asking you to speak for SoulCycle in any way. But from your perspective, what do you think is next for the brand? What's next for you within the brand? And how are you feeling about indoor cycling in general? And would you consider going into other modalities? I think there's a lot of people, even if they're not at SoulCycle, who feel exactly how you do. And the reason I invite amazing people like you on this podcast is because I too want to hear anything that you think could be relevant for any of us listening who find ourselves in this space. Yeah, I definitely think it's super challenging right now. I try to fill up my cup with a lot of things outside of my job that make me happy. And the hardest part for me is the between season. Beach, summer, love it. Can do all the things, fill up my cup. It's this weird cold, but not cold enough to go skiing. Skiing's like one of my other like major passions. Like I would be that person that would quit everything and like move to Vail for a season. 
no doubt how to have no problem doing that. So like, it's been really challenging for me because like skiing is my love. So once I can ski every Friday again, like I'll probably be a lot like mentally better, but also another super taxing thing on my body. So that's challenging. I think everything has its moment. I know like Pilates and shit is having like a really cool moment right now. I love that. I think a rising tide lifts all ships. I think you need everything. I've always been somebody that wants to go take all the different modalities and disciplines and classes. I've never been someone that's like, oh, I fucking hate that. Or like, I don't like that. I've never been that person. I'll always, I'm always down to go. Don't care how it is. Like, I just feel like it's fun. It's cool to meet different new instructors. It's cool to go try different things. You can pull, I mean, even if I go take the shittiest class ever and I'm like, gosh, that was horrible. There's usually something I pull from it. Like, damn, I never heard that song before. I'm going to put that in my playlist or I'm going to, oh, never saw that move before. That was wild. When I was in France, I took dynamo cycling. The whole thing was in French. I didn't know what the fuck was going on the entire time, but I could like read music and I was like, okay, there's going to be a drop here. Uh, And like, then they started doing a move and I was like, oh, I don't know that move. Let me get on it. Like, you know, so there's definitely, you can pull from so many different places in your life. And I think that's another place where your hobbies and what you do for fun and going out and going different places. I mean, me, I'm never not working. I'll be in like forever 21 or at like dinner and I make, I'm standing up on the booth trying to Shazam a song in the corner on the Sonos. Like my brain doesn't shut off. So I don't know. It's it's so uh, there's like that part. And then like with where our companies are going to go and things like that, having such a large social media platform is a blessing and a curse. And I've worked my absolute butt off, like pulled all nighters all the time, uh, hit burnout and walls so many times with social because it's like sales. Like it's basically like the stock market. It's like literally never sleeps. You could stay on it all day, all night. You could always growth hack. You could always do more. You could do another post, another video. You could answer a million more DMs. You could do more comments. You could do like more of everything on it. Like you have to create that boundary for yourself or you drive yourself crazy. But because I didn't have a boundary when I first started is where I, why I got to where I was. I think I moved to Boston with two to five. 5,000 followers. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have anybody. And I just worked my ass off. So being on the forefront of all the PR and all of the whatever has been extremely challenging because I don't even watch the news. I am so laser focused and have such blinders on when it comes to how can I show up and serve to the best of my ability. And I've always believed what you eat not just through your mouth food, but what you watch and what you listen to is just as important of what you're consuming. And for me, that looks like, you know, someone will say, oh, did you see whatever on the Daily Mail? I'm like, don't fucking tell me. I don't want to know about some tragedy. I don't want to know. I know the world is a cruel and awful and horrible place, but that's not going to help me show up and then spread the light. I can't do that. I can't do both in that way. That duality for me can't exist. I have to put up so many boundaries and blinders and walls so that I am constantly just taking in as much juice as possible to then project that out there. And I can't carry the weight of every single fucking tragedy going on around the world. Like humans were not meant to take that on long ago, even like the 19, what fifties or forties, like you just knew what was going on in your town. You had one, you had one radio station or one station on the TV, or there was only one newscast at 5 PM. It's not constant media all day, tragedy, tragedy, world tragedy, this happening, tragedy, trauma, trauma, tragedy all day, every day. Like Human beings are not meant to filter that. And so for me, it looks like I have blinders on it all the time. People are like, do you think the company's going to go on? Do you think you're doing this? I heard this. This person's getting fired. This is going on. This is going on. I can hold space and be empathetic and 
compassionate. And I always will for anybody out there at all times, but I can't take that load on in order to show up and serve the way I need to serve. Like I can't have be constantly having the consequences. I was getting DMs left and right. Some are like, I, I mean, I've received an array of DMs, array of nasty messages, an array of nasty comments. And as much as some t- once in a while, it'll like get me. And that's how I know I'm not, I, I'm not in alignment in my own life. Like I know something else is going on. That's like creating why that hurts so much. And that for me is like, okay, take a moment, but I'm a human. Sometimes I don't take a moment. Sometimes I clap right back. And then I'm like, fuck, I shouldn't have done that. Like, why'd you let it get the best of you? But it's because I'm a human, you know, and you can only take so much. And that's when I know, okay, like retract, reboot, come back. But also a lot of that looks like just letting it roll off you, you know, instead of wanting to be right or wanting to prove someone wrong, just being like, you know what? Yeah. Two plus two does equal five, sweetie. Sure. Like that's how I feel a lot of times now. Like I'm not going to win. I'm just going to focus on me. I'm going to put my blinders on. I'm going to stay in my own lane. And that actually was one of the best pieces of advice I got day one. I didn't really get what that meant. And now it's, it's so true. And even like, I was just listening to one of my favorite pastors talking about, I don't know, I was watching like a little clip of something on Instagram and it was talking about like, when you compare your callings, you catch insecurities. And when you compare your callings, you catch insufficiency. You never catch something great. You never are better off for that comparison. And everybody's calling looks different and is different. And everybody's path is different. And so sometimes it's really hard to keep your eyes on your own paper. I think when you're feeling that opposition and that stuff is coming up for you, I just think it's because whatever is the enemy for you in your life is trying to like keep you weak. I really am so grateful that you are being so honest about how hard it can be to manage all of the emotions that people yeah. throw at you and then still be expected to show up. And then you as, still show up to show up like, oh my God, I'm having yeah. like the best time ever. Like, yeah. this is so cool. Like, yeah. because then you do have to serve like the other people in, you know, there's 50 six people in your room and you have no idea what they're bringing to it. And I think that's a lot what has made it so hard right now is like everybody is in this resiliency Olympics of perpetual burnout in their lives. And then you are also so fucking burnt out and you're having to show up and then lift everybody else even higher. I feel like before it was like taking everybody from like a six to a 10. And now it feels like I got to take this two, this vibrational two of a room and somehow get it to a 10 And make them feel that pop at the end that I call like the doves fly out of the podium. And it is challenging. And I'm sure every industry feels the same. Every service-based industry feels exactly the same way right now. 100% full stop. But it's like, okay, well then how do we get our collective community consciousness, everybody to like go from a two to a six right now? I don't know. I don't know what that answer is. I don't know if it's time. Time heals everything. Maybe in two years, we won't feel any of this and it'll be like, oh, I like whatever. But it's important to set those boundaries. That's the highlight of that I got out of what you just said, because I know for me, full disclosure on this podcast, I'm so struggling with managing other instructors. I love to train instructors and I love to help them. And then I love to be the fairy godmother and send them on their way and just be like, good luck to you. Let me know how it works out. I'm always here to support you. But to do it through a formal program, 
where people are relying on you so much emotionally. I mean, there are times, like I said, in the last two weeks where I've literally cried to my husband, to my friends in my car by myself, where I'm like, how can I show up emotionally for these people to help them achieve their dreams, show up for myself, show up for my family, show up for my riders. And then like you said, getting these DMs about obviously I'm in a different company, but same thing. This is happening at the company and that's happening. And this is on the news. And I'm just like, holy fuck. Can I have a baby first? It's a lot. And I think we don't like, I'm just trying to create a human for Christ's sake. Right. And that's kind of why I said to you, the the biggest thing I drew from COVID for me was I had to just boil it down to like, I have no idea what's going to happen. I didn't even know what a pandemic was before this. I don't know anything. I have no answers, but like I'm going to try to do is just create a space where both you and me could just have a little time where we fear a little less. I'm not sure what that means, but that's the best I can offer you right now is just creating that space. And I really tried to hold on to that. But so that's why I'm grateful that you're being honest about how you feel. Because again, I think it's just easy to say that someone at your level, and we're going to pivot into social media, which you kind of delved into, which was great. But yeah, that someone at your level can experience the same things as some people who only have like 2000 followers or a thousand followers or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. So it's the same, but I think that it's just important for people to hear it, that it's not just this thing that one day you master and it just goes away and then you're just able to show up for people. Well, it's like the uh, infinite finish lines. And it's kind of like what I alluded to before. Like you got the title and you got the thing. And you're like, oh, I have to go. T- you still have to go do it again. You still have to jump in the ring and fight again. Like I always I talk about, obviously I live in New England. So I think about Tom Brady a lot and I'm like, yeah, but you got to go do it again. It's not like the winning at once. It's like the again and the again and the again. And like, what is it about? Like that takes a certain like resiliency, um, but that resiliency muscle over, you know, time is it's like you have to exercise it in different ways. Otherwise you're just, what am I doing? Kind of like we said before, like, is this even worth it? Like, what am I doing? And I think one is like your why. And I think the why behind all the things I do is to serve and inspire people because I know that I have been given not only a platform, but also an innate ability to connect with people on a deeper level and to speak in a way, especially in that room. And sometimes when I'm coaching and you know, there's back and forth between them, that's a God-given gift. And why not use what you have to help others while you're here? So that's one. The other thing I was going to say about you were saying, you know, I have a really tough time showing up and trying to like manage other people or like help with whatever for me and, or you're like thanking me for being so open or honest. I don't know how to not do that anymore because I think the leaders that I call, like I'd follow them into battle are the most authentic. They're willing to start the conversation with like, I don't know all the answers. I'm feeling really blah, blah, blah right now. Like what are you bringing into this conversation? Well, what I'm bringing into this conversation is I'm dealing with X, Y, and Z. I'm really nervous about this and also about this. And I'm trying to be show up and be what I am for you. And almost like clearing the air of what your leader is supposed to look like or what it's supposed to look like or how it's supposed to sound or whatever. I think that's the biggest problem is most people shouldn't be leaders. Most people shouldn't be in the leadership position they're in because they don't even understand what it means like to be a leader. And I think being the best leader is leading authentically. You know, there's somebody I really looked up to. 
I really, really looked up to this person. And when I met them, they were like, really not real. Everything was just like positive and like, whatever. And I was like, no, or like you ever see the people that they, they always show up and their hair is perfect. Their makeup is perfect. Like I see a lot of coaches doing like these videos online and I'm like, that is not me. That's never going to be me. And I don't work with that. I want to see you show up with like a baby on your arm, maybe freaking like breastfeeding. Like I want to see you at your nastiest, ugliest, shittiest rock bottoms and still show up and lead. And that's the kind of person I'll lead into battle. I want to see you with all your flaws and all those things, because that's like, you get it. You are in the trenches with me. You understand you're not speaking from a place of like perfection or like you're showing up on camera and you look all put together with your hair and makeup did every fucking day. Like, I don't need to see that because it's not real. It's not a reality for, I'd say 99.9999% of the people. So I'm always going to follow the most authentic, the most real people in a battle, not the people that like look the best or sound the best or have this facade around them. And it's so weird when, like you were saying, like when you meet someone, like I love when you were like, yeah, but is she really like that? It is such a freaking letdown when you meet somebody. And a lot of times I'm like, oh, I don't want to meet that celebrity or I don't want to meet that person because like I almost love who they are to me in my head instead of who they actually are in real life. That's just, that was a tangent, but. No, no, no. It's perfect because that's that's where we're going because it's so true. And it doesn't even have to be a celebrity, but that's why I think social media in my personal opinion, and this is what I want to go into next, you know, you do it so well because you you are literally just giving no fucks and being yourself. And that, I think, is something that not a lot of people want to do because either they're, they're, there's something holding them back, there's they're focused on the metrics, there's very specific and not always the reasons that you think behind making that type of decision. Yeah. Sometimes people want to be themselves and they go against their own advice and become something else because they think it's going to get them to some other end yeah, result. Totally. Right? It's not always somebody just truly being fake. That seems so reductive and it's not right. But, you know, you really do it so well. When I use the influencer title, I absolutely don't just use it for everyone. You are somebody who truly influences people into your classes or through your program, your coaching program, because of the value that you're showing them through some of your videos. And to me, that's like true content. That's like real organic. That's like what social media should be used for. As an instructor, you have to show up and put your shit aside. And to me, you delivered everything I expected during that class of what I know about you, what I've seen on social media. That's what I was looking for because there's been times where I've taken, and and at the local level, doesn't have to be somebody with the following. In real life, I meet them in person or take their class and I'm like, you don't even talk the way you sound in your video. It's jarring. Yeah. Where's that person that I saw? So you do social media really well. I'm going to tell you I'm a little bit older than you and I struggle with TikTok. I kind of like- Yeah, I do too. Full disclosure, I I feel like I am a has-been a thousand percent on social media. I feel like I can't do anything right anymore. I, you know, I feel all the same things. I can't get my content to grow. I'm constantly struggling. I'm not, I can't figure out TikTok or more importantly, I don't prioritize it. Like I don't prioritize it in my life because it's like, there's a million other things going on. How can instructors elevate their social media? Are there some do's and don'ts that you kind of follow? Or do you think that that's a thing? Should you just give no fucks and see what happens? How do you stay consistent with content? I've only met you one time, but I've listened to you on a lot of media outlets, a lot of podcasts. 
You do not come off of somebody who's rehearsed on anything. I can tell yeah. that you're just vibing and, and and throwing things out. I feel like I'm the same way. I can't, if I'm too rehearsed and I don't feel like I'm truly being myself. So it yeah. kind of hit, it kind of holds me back. But can you stay consistent with content if you're sort of off the cuff? How can you develop your brand beyond socials? And the most important point is, do you really need a social media presence to be a good instructor, regardless of modality? Because again, now that I'm training instructors, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at some of those elements. I'm not sure that I should be the one to impart yeah. what they should and shouldn't do. But I do know that, and I am nowhere near comparing myself to the level that you're at, but there have been a handful of people in my time where I've been teaching who have been like, I saw your profile and your classes looked fun. So yeah. I wanted to take your class, right? So I had a direct impact to people being in my classes. So yeah, listen, I think you can't have, you can't even have a business in 2023 and not be on social media straight up. If you consider yourself a business, if you are a business owner, if you want to be taken seriously, you have to have a social media presence, full stop, period. You know, I'll never forget a few years ago, I sat in a meeting and it was with all instructors. And I said, I said something like that. And like someone corrected me and was like, well, not everybody not everybody wants to do that. And I wanted to be like, well, then not everybody's fucking serious about this because that's exactly what you have to do to be at a certain level. If you want to just come and you don't want to have packed classes and whoever shows up shows up and it's very la-di-da and it's play for you, that's cool too. But that's all it will ever be. That's all it will ever be. Maybe if you get put in like a really crazy good time slot, people might still come take you, but people want to know you. Like people are very voyeuristic, just like naturally. They want to know about your life. They want to know about you. They want to share music with you. They want to talk to you. They want to converse with you. They want to know you. That's the whole point of this. Otherwise, like what's the point? So I think everybody, especially in this space of fitness, I mean, you should be pushing social a thousand percent. There's no other answer, actually. And how you do that or the way you do that is for you to kind of navigate on your own with what works for you. But there definitely has to be some levels of consistency with it. And it depends on what everybody's goal is. If your goal is just to like post your classes and make it all about your classes and you make an Instagram that's fully just for your fitness, then that's cool. Or if you want to go deeper and I want to go bigger and I want brand partnerships and I want this and I want that and I want that, then it's going to look like a full-time job for you. So it's really just about what are your priorities and like, what are your goals? And then in terms of figuring out like what you can share and what you can't share, I think now is more challenging than ever with cancel culture and all God knows what else out there. Like, I feel like I can't even be that off cuff anymore because I feel like everybody is like a judge about every single thing you say and like literally dissects every single word of every iteration of whatever verbiage you're doing at all times. It's like everyone's constantly a critic on your life. It's harder now more than ever to be off the cuff or like just whatever. But I think you navigate it and you figure out like where you kind of can roll between, you know, the bumpers down, you know, the bowling alley. So there's some people who are like, well, I'm not a brand. And I'm like, well, then I don't know. I don't know if this job is for you because it's so, it's so much a part of it. I think how you execute it, like you said, can be organic to you, but to not even see it as a part of the job seems a throwaway. Well, your TikTok, not TikToks, because I'm not on TikTok, but (laughs) your reels, although I did look you up today on TikTok because I'm like, I know she has one, but I looked it up. So make sure everybody follows her on TikTok, but your reels, (laughs) your reels are amazing on Instagram. I think they're very organic. I've been in 
inspired by a lot of them to just kind of think about different things. And I feel seen. That's why I think your content is so potent because I never feel like I'm wasting my time. And I have such little time because of everything that I have going on to just enjoy content. And so Mm -hmm. I'm always disappointed when I actually take the time to watch something where I feel like it doesn't serve me. It doesn't connect with me. It feels fake. It feels weird. It's refreshing to kind of see something that you post about being an instructor or just in general that kind of resonates with me. I think that's my biggest problem with TikTok right now is I feel like what is popular and like viral on TikTok has no ROI for me. It has no return on investment. I'm not seeing a lot of like personal development, like bettering yourself. It's all like stupid dance videos or trolling. It seems like a very negative space. And I'm like, I don't want to be a fucking part of that. Now, I don't know if I'm just in the wrong, like for you pages, or it's, it's trying to give me the wrong content. Like I'm in some kind of weird algorithm thing, but just like my ROI on that is not what I want it to be there yet. And I haven't make it, made it a priority to make it that way. So I feel like that's like a huge thing too. Like if it's, if I'm not like learning or getting a return on my time, like time is the the most precious currency you have. Never mind money. If I feel like I'm wasting my time, I'm out like in any way possible. So I think that's where like I struggle sometimes with a lot of like new, newer things. I'm like, okay, like where's the return on this? Cause I just right. watched like some random video of like a dance, which was cute. And then I watched like something of like someone being an asshole. No. So I don't know if I'm just in the wrong circles or arenas. And maybe that's something I need to explore in 2023. I don't know. But what you said about the main thing about any brand or any person, if you want to be successful is making people feel seen, heard, and appreciated. Bottom line, that will be your North Star, your compass on providing and creating valuable content. Um, that hits and is well-received. Great advice and well put. I have a couple more questions and then we'll start to wrap it up. There's a lot of new people joining the fitness space, new instructors, whether it's indoor cycling or any other modality. I've heard Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about tiny habits, the willingness to grind, never saying no, like, sure, let's see what happens. And having that kind of attitude, I want you to just spend a little bit of time talking to new instructors and the best advice that you can impart on them on how they can set off on this journey on a positive note that'll set them up for success in the future. Yeah. So it's kind of two pronged. I think with new instructors, like you have to embrace the suck of just like not knowing what you're doing, of having classes that don't land. I struggle with giving advice on this because I was baptized in fire. When I first started, I was teaching 16, 17, 18 classes a week in like the height of my most classes I taught. I was teaching like 20, 22, 18 classes a week. I did not have time to dwell on a class that didn't go well or a music that didn't hit. I didn't have time to dissect every single thing I did. And I think what I noticed now with a lot of instructors who are new or fairly new or just wanting advice is they're like, Maddie, I taught this class you know, on Monday and I go back next Monday, it's a lot harder to get better at what you're doing when you don't do it as often. So I don't know how to give advice on if you only teach one or two classes a week. I honestly don't. I think you're going to have to like put your best foot forward and you have to have to like have the same mindset of like, I can't dwell on like what happened or whatever, but your like re-up time is going to be a lot more challenging for you because like, you're going to have time to stew in it and think about it and like overthink it. And then like, because you have so much time until your next one. Whereas if you're teaching a shit ton of classes, you don't even have time to worry about that. I mean, I was teaching three, four classes a day. I, I didn't even have time to like eat a sandwich in between. I was like, sandwich, go. Like, 
refuel, go. Like hope the next one goes great. Like you didn't have time to sit in the uncertainty and stew in stupid mistakes. You just executed. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is like, they are so afraid of like the wrong thing or doing it wrong. Like you have to do it over and over and over and over. And it's only the compound effect of teaching again and again and again, that doesn't hit. This will hit. Does that choreographer? No. Fucked up that drop. Oh, I did that. That's the only way you learn. You can't learn about it any other way than actually in the execution, the action of it. So the more that you can be in that, the better. And if that's not a reality for you, then you just have to adjust your expectations it's going to take a little bit longer to master this craft because I can't put as many hours towards it. It doesn't look like that for me right now. So I think it's giving yourself just the floor to not be good at the beginning and also figure out what your voice is. I think the number one question I get from new instructors is like the feedback I get is like, I haven't found my voice. And so from managerial point of position, one, I find it really challenging when I hear about people who manage studios and also teach at them. I think that's a conflict of interest for anybody else who's trying to teach there because that's just fucked up. Sorry, straight up. I don't know. That's just the way it is. I don't agree with that. Makes no sense to me. You can't foster talent and then also be in the talent because as much as a rising tide lifts all ships, there is also this competition going on for lack of better words. There is, there just is, there will always be. And it's this fine line between let's, we're all helping each other. We're a team. And also like, I want my classes to do really well. So ultimately, yeah, I want everybody to do well, but there is also this competitive thing going on too. So it's very polarizing in that sense. I don't believe that that can exist. So from a manager standpoint of asking somebody like, oh, you haven't found your voice. I didn't find my fucking voice or who I was until like a year and a half, two years, three, two to three years in, I felt like I hit my stride, but that it took that long. Like, this is not something that happens overnight or it's the compound effect of doing it over and over and over again, 10,000 hours, tons of hours that make you who you are. I hate when I hear like a new instructor is like, oh, my feedback was like, I don't, I don't know my voice. I was like, well, no shit. You don't know your voice. You don't know who you are. You're still trying to figure out. You're probably still counting eight counts in your head. Again, huge edge, knowing how to ride, mastering music. Like this all takes time. Um, but I hate when I hear that. I'm like, uh, like, what do you mean you don't haven't found your voice? Of course you freaking haven't found your voice. Like you're, you can barely keep your head above water. Someone's asking you to find your voice. Like that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I think better management would be better. People that have done it before and then go into the management role who want to foster talent from a place of I've done it. This is what's worked for me. This is what could work for you. Let's see. Everybody's different. Everybody has unique qualities like that X-Men factor. Um, and really wanting to see that person grow and shine and, and being able to pull it out of people too. What is your thing? What makes you different? What is your superpower? And then figuring out how to bring that out of people more. I'd say. Yeah, a true skill that you must develop over time. I, I agree. People asking questions like your voice and finding your why, it can be so disruptive when you're a new instructor in that journey of like, bro, I'm still trying to start the class on time. <laughs> Yeah, like, no. I'm still trying to like not miss the beat drop. And so then you have people being like, what's your why and your purpose? And I'm yeah, just it's like, a stupid just, question. So yeah, your why yeah. at the beginning of anything you do, you might be like, I love it. I just love it. I'm so passionate about riding my bike. Like I don't want to ride. I try to ride as least amount as I can, unless I'm like really like feeling myself. And that's a transition from doing it for seven years now. And your why 
you start to develop your why over time in the sense of like something way deeper because that's what keeps you in the game. Your interest and your passion is what brings you to it. Your why is what keeps you in it, if that makes sense. It's got to be way bigger, way more grounded. It gets bigger over time. Yeah, I agree. So let's wrap the conversation up by having you tell everybody about your Wicked Fearless program and how you integrate all the other things that you're doing. And, you know, I think that a lot of people think instructors that it's for just gen pop, but I think it can benefit anyone who's just looking for a little bit more in their life. So talk about it. Um, oh yeah. What are, yeah. Tell us your offering for not, 2023. Go ahead. Yeah. It's definitely not just instructors. Like I have an array of, it's just a lot of different walks of life. So Wicked Fearless is, a, it's, I'm relaunching it as a 12 week program. So it's all based around confidence, life coaching. So hard to like put a pin in what exactly it is. It's basically, I took all the questions that I was constantly being asked over and over again by so many people. And I took them all and I turned it into a program with videos and content and all of this juicy stuff that you get. You get high touch capacity, one-on-one time with me, full access. And I basically created this thing during COVID because I was like, how do I keep serving people beyond the bike? Like what happens if, for instance, what happens if Soul Cycle closes tomorrow? What am I going to do? And I got a taste of that two years ago, three years ago, whatever. So that's why I developed this. It's like beyond the bike of all the things I talk about, like an extension of everything I do and everything I am outside the four walls that is Soul Cycle, and so much more beyond that. Daily habits, rituals. How do I show up? How do I do this? How do I navigate this friendship? How do I do this relationship? How do I create boundaries? It's like every, how do I, how do I, how do I to get you at a baseline to feeling grounded and good and, and leading that life of fear with doesn't leave you, but how do you go toe to toe with it daily and just feel like a better version of yourself? So that's what that is. And I'm also going to be doing a lot more one-on-one coaching this year. I really like one-on-one coaching. It's really just where I can pinpoint. Someone can come to me with like, this is what I'm going through. This is what I want to work on. This is where I am in my life. If that's a little bit different than the group, but then some people love the group. So a lot of different things going on with that this year. So we're a little bit, right a now. little bit for everybody, right? Yeah. A little bit for everything. Life is not so linear and black and white ever. So I think that that's yeah. a great approach to modifying what someone who comes to you needs. The true definition of high touch service, really yeah. focusing it on what the person needs. Well, yeah. amazing. This has been a wonderful conversation. We're going to move into rapid fire. I love do- it. Let's go. I'm going to do something a little differently because five minutes before we started recording today, which is a couple of days before Christmas, my last recording of 2022, I saw that you posted a, a TikTok or a reel, a reel uh-huh. about the three questions that you like to ask people when you meet them. So yeah. we're going to, yeah, we're going to work them in because I want you to answer those. I two. love it. I All love right. It. So I'll pepper them in. Well, you'll just have to guide me on what the three are. Yeah, I, yeah, I, know, I, will. I will. I will. <laughs> okay. So, all right, Madison, rapid fire. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is your favorite song or artist to teach to or move to or both? Shit. This is so hard. I would go with Griffin. Uh, Griffin. When you got engaged, you wrote on your Instagram, like, can you play at my wedding? And I just yeah, no, I would die. I would die. <laughs> that would be the best day ever for sure. If you, if you could only use one word to describe your teaching style, what would it be? Effervescent. Beautiful. The best smell in the world is. Oh, the smell after you blow out birthday candles or like, yeah, birthday candles specifically. I love that one. 
the most important personal and business lesson you've learned thus far? I think I'm going to say stay in your own lane. Simple, but accurate, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If you could do any other job or career besides the one that you've had or currently have or any of the other myriad of jobs that you do, there's something that you haven't done yet that you want to try. That's so hard. I feel like I would probably like work at a barn. With animals? Yeah. Like, no, I would want to be like a horse trainer, just like work at a barn in general, because that's also like one of my happy places. So that or like be a ski instructor. Like, I don't know, something like that. I love both for you. I I hope any of those materialize, I can come support. I've been watching a lot of Yellowstone, so I'm really into like- yeah barns and horses and horseback riding. So I'm into it. I've already seen you in the outfit in the 10 seconds. Yes. Love it. What is your favorite way to recover after an intense class or just workout? I used to take a lot of baths. I don't really do it as much anymore because I don't like our tub that we have currently in this apartment, but I used to take a lot of baths. So I'd say Epsom salt baths are my favorite. All right. And favorite movie or musical? That is so hard. I don't know. I'd probably say Harry Potter. Okay. That's fine. And musical Wicked. Okay. I mean, it's it's hard for people, but because everyone has more than one, but like we just like to see what you say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every single one. Okay, all of the above. Let's work in the three. So what was the first one that you said? So I always ask, okay, like if you could go to any music, music performance, like concert of all time, what would you go to? And for me, it's Queen at Live Aid in Wembley Stadium. And my best friend Ryan always says the same thing. And it was so fun. And we share that together. If you could raid anybody's closet, who would it be? I'm like a toss up between like Dolly Parton, Dummer, Donna, Summer, and Cher. And then if you could have dinner with anybody like Time, Space, Alive, whatever, who would it be? And this is challenging because like a lot of people say like a loved one that passed away or something like that. But I always think of like more celebrity or someone or whatever, but I'm always like really interested. I, I feel like right now I'd be like Marilyn Monroe. I'm so interested in old Hollywood and like all the shit that went down. So I feel like she would have the tea. That's a hard one to do that last one because I feel yeah. like even if you put your family but that's, aside, that's but it's point. so hard. Yeah. That's the whole point of asking conversations like this at a dinner table that's normally like stuffy or annoying or asking whatever kind of questions is it gets the group talking about like other cool shit because all of a sudden someone says like, you know, oh, I go see Aerosmith at blah, blah, blah. And you're like, shit, I would go do that too. Or like, I'd see Bon Jovi here. Or like, I'd see, you know, Tina Tur- like whoever these like greats are, Elton John, when he played at the Troubadour, when he was brand new, like that creates this different kind of like friendly, like happy hysteria around the table or conversations or icebreakers or masterminds or whatever that would normally be like a little awkward or like, I'm not having a good time. It always helps out a little bit. So. Yeah, no, I love I when I saw it, I was like, we have to include these. These are fantastic. Yeah, they're so All right. And you've inspired so many people throughout your journey as an instructor, as an influencer, as a mindset coach, a confidence coach. But who inspires you? My gosh, so many people inspire me. I think the people I listen to most are Ed Milet. I listen to, I'm pretty religious. Like I'm, I'm, I go to church every week. My priest, John Uni at St. Cecilia is in Boston. I'm pretty obsessed with him. He's so cool. I'd say like those two, I listen to a lot of Joel Osteen, a lot of Stephen Furtick. 
I also watch a YouTube channel called <laughs> Ben Lionel Scott, which is like a compilation of like all these like TD Banks uh, and Eric Thomas and like all these like compilations of like pump up videos. Uh, I love Steve Harvey. Those are some people I have so many, I could go on and on all these personal development gurus, people, Joe Dispenza, like the usuals and everybody in that place. And uh, my dad. So I love that you always talk about when you're having some kind of need inspiration moment that you reach out to your dad. It's so heartwarming to hear that. And yeah. How supportive your parents and he has been through your journey. It's, yeah, it's really nice to hear. That's a huge part of it. Huge, huge part of it. So yeah, of course. All right. Well, tell our listeners how they can connect with you, how they can reach you and yeah. to know all things Mad Tads. Um, so I think the best place to find me is on Instagram at Mads Tads, M-A-D-D-Z-T-A-D-D-Z. That's where you can get like my website, access to my programs. I talk voice notes, DMs, like questions, things here. You can there's also just like so much free content not only on that platform, but that will lead you to other platforms with free content and also programs. And then there's also my podcast, Wicked Fearless, that drops every week on a Monday with pep talks, tiny tidbits. I have guests on all that jazz. So that's really the place where you can find everything. And then it will offshoot you to wherever you want to go. Yeah, I can't understand enough. I enjoy your podcast so very much. And you have some great guests, lots of different topics every week and so organic and and feels like just a positive thing to always look forward to to listen to. So I hope that people will tap into that as well. Madison, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast today. It is a little bit of a special day for me. We just hit 10,000 downloads and I never Woo! even I never even thought that like anyone would listen to this shit. No, it's so awesome. You did and- it. You're doing it. You're putting it out out there and that's so much a part of it is like just, just doing so it. many times I was in my basement like oh my god it's I know amazing. every time I, I press publish I'm like what is anybody out there like the water is freezing and there aren't enough boats like so what's going is, on so yeah it is an honor to have that milestone and have you on and thank you again for being so patient and so gracious and and inspiring so many of us I can't wait until like this baby comes out and I can take your classes again and <laughs> Me and my friend will finally be able to go to Boston. And, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so I'm very excited. But thank you again for being on today. And please, everybody, make sure you go and rate the show and check out all things Madison Ciccone. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.